Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the WEI Celtics Podcast with Sam Packard. The Celtics lose... 102 to 101 against Atlanta Hawks in the first round of their playoff series. Perhaps the bigger loss is the injury to Avery Bradley. To talk about all this, we go to the best friend of our podcast, Chris Forsberg down in Atlanta. Chris, how are you doing? What's going on, Sam? What's going down? I'm just here. I'm flying solo because uh, the other half of my team did not take the loss well. <laughs> have we have we called all like the Boston bars and checked all the back alleys? I feel like. Jared's somewhere wandering around in, like, Austin, Brighton. If, you know, I, just... <laughs> if I know Jared, he's face down in an alley right now, but he picked a good alley. He, the, the man knows real estate. That is true. That is true. He'll pick the finest alley in, in Brighton or Austin. All right, let's focus on the actual game, though. Uh, last night, the Celtics, they essentially lost, They only lost by one, but it was kind of a garbage one because Isaiah Thomas hit that three at the end. But again, they had another rough start where in the first half, they allowed the uh, Hawks to, or they, they really started in the first quarter when they allowed the Hawks to score another 30 points. What's happening with the Celtics here in the in these first halves, and why aren't they ready to go for during playoff time? Yeah, I have no idea. It's almost like they need that sense of urgency that comes after they stink it up for 24 minutes. I don't know if Brad Stevens has got to take them in like the practice gym uh, and make them run around for a little bit so they can shake whatever cobwebs that seem to be happening at the start of games. But it's, it's certainly concerning, I and mean, it's a pattern here. It's a, it, I think it was Kevin Pelton had a great tweet yesterday. He said that was the best first half the Celtics have played this week, and it's true. Like, it, 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 they still stunk. Uh, so I don't know why exactly they're, they're coming out slow. or um, You know, they obviously fell right into the, what Atlanta wanted them to do with taking a lot of jumpers, and when those jumpers weren't falling, they tend to get frustrated. And uh, They've got to do a better job of just – understanding that, you know, when shots aren't falling, they've got to get other ways to create offense. And I know Brad even came out after last night's game and said, hey, you know, it's not as easy as just driving at the basket every time. There's a reason that Atlanta is, a, is the second-best defense in the league. They do a good job protecting the basket. But still, you've got to find ways to, to generate points and maybe get to the free-throw line. They've got to be better in the first half of games to give themselves a chance. I think they need – Brad Stevens to have that kind of stern conversation, sit-down moment just to start the game, not wait till halftime. Yeah, like, I mean, whatever Brad's got to do, like, throw some chairs, create a sense of urgency. Like, I don't want to overreact to one loss. They're down 1-0, and you, they, in part because of the Bradley injury, people are like, ah, oh, season's over, this is, you know, what a tough draw, this is it. But there does have to be some sort of urgency with game two, uh, just because if you fall behind 2-0, it's, it's going to be really hard to dig yourself out of that. So I don't know. Whatever Brad's got to do, he's got to shake him up a little bit. I think it's telling uh, as we're taping here today. They're, they're going to practice this afternoon. We'll find out more about Avery then. Uh, but the fact that they're even practicing and, and getting together kind of shows you they're not taking like a rest and recovery day, which is probably their more usual uh, post-game pattern. Uh, they're going to get back on the court, and I think Brad wants to uh, make sure they are, uh, are working through some of the some of the things that are working against them right now. 
Now, a, a wise basketball scholar once said that the NBA was a make or miss league. <laughs> And I think that's one of the biggest problems for the Celtics is, and it's something that's been borne out throughout the entire season, they're not a very good shooting team. So if they play a great defensive team like the Hawks and it comes down to jump shooting, the Celtics are likely to miss the majority of those shots (laughs) just if the statistics are borne out. So like Uh, you said, it's hard to really just hard to just create offense just by saying, oh, just go to the basket. Is this something that's going to be a problem for them? Uh, for the rest of the series, it's they just because they got some good looks early in that game, they just weren't able to make it, shooting twenty three percent in the first half. Yeah, like I, it, I love that it's a make miss league, and the Celtics are one of the teams that misses the most exactly the perimeter. You know, it it it, it, it it's almost incredible at times that they're forty eight win team. Uh, it's concerning. I mean, but on the the opposite side of that again is that they're good looks. It's just. We know these Celtics. There, there are nights when they hit a ton of those shots and they look really good. And they're recently, especially in the first half of games, they've missed a lot of these shots and they look really bad. So I, I don't know if there's an easy answer. It's just there's going to be nights like that. It's good that they can have a terrible first half like that and still find a way to claw their way back in. I think the more concerning part is you're losing probably your best your most consistent perimeter shooter, at least, and Avery Bradley, if, he, if this hamstring sidelines him. And so now what do you do if you can't generate jump shots? you got to, again, find different ways. Can you get Jared Sollinger activated around the post? Can Isaiah drive more? Can Crowder go to the hoop more? It's, I mean, I understand settling for those jumpers if they're open makes the most sense and you don't want to turn down a good look. Uh, the problem is, like, you look at the Hawks last night, what they were in the bonus in, the, in two minutes into the third quarter. It's amazing that they didn't come back to bite Boston more. Uh, the Celtics need to find a way to, to likewise get to the line. They can't have a night where uh, I think the Hawks shot 17 more free throws or whatever. You're not going to win those games. So what happened in the third quarter when they were able to uh, come back and kind of make this an actual game? Is it just as simple as turning on the defensive switch? I mean, yeah. and that that's... Once you get those easy stops, you're going to get those easier buckets in transition? Yeah, I hate to oversimplify it, but that's really been the case all season long. I think that moving Turner into the starting lineup and shuffling Amir to the bench helps because then you match up better with the Hawks. And uh, Evan gives you a second ball handler, took some of the pressure off Isaiah, bringing the ball up the court and letting them kind of hone in on him. Uh, Evan's one of those few guys that can drive to the basket and make something happen. And uh, I think that was a big boost for the team. But, yeah, it really just came down to I think some shots started to fall. They like got a little bit of confidence, whether it was generating those off turnovers or, or whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, okay, now now they can lock in and play their familiar brand of basketball. But you can't wait 24 minutes to to get to that point. I thought it was interesting that you know again they they had a lot of success with Evan there. I, I almost thought coming into the series that that might be something they'd go to immediately because even though you only had a four game sample. It's, you really it, you, you saw it even in the regular season that they had to go small to really match up with the Hawks uh, because of their floor stretching abilities. I wonder if, if they'll you know they're going to have to to decide if they're going to stick with that. It's a little bit complicated now if Avery's out. Um, I, I I I did like Amir coming off the bench for whatever reason. Every time Amir gets benched, he comes out with like a fire under his butt and plays really well. So that was encouraging, even if he had that late game turnover that didn't help. Uh, I, I, there's a lot of positives to be plucked from that second half, but I, I, we go back to it. Like that's the third quarter of, of these last two games, whether it was Miami or, or game one against Atlanta. 
you know, you see what the Celtics can do to be a good team, and they need to bottle that and figure out how to have it for all four quarters. Well, it seems like they're at their best when they're playing small, and Jay is at the either the four or the five, and Jay has been doing a really good job of post-defense, especially against Millsap and Horford. I'm talking about Jay Crowder, just in case uh, anyone was confused, not uh, Jay King, uh, who's also <laughs> been doing a great job down in Atlanta. But is that something they can do or that's sustainable for – I guess 48 minutes is going small, especially assuming Avery Bradley, one of their better, smaller players, is going to be out. Can they play that kind of small ball lineup and just rely on kind of those swing players like Crowder and Jonas to carry them? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wish there was an easy answer there, but, you know, it, it looked good in the third quarter. They, I mean, they played what? I think Brad said they had to really go for it. It felt like the final 40 minutes were, were almost all small from the first sub uh, on, so... Uh, I think they understand that they're going to have to do that, especially on a night where you know Solinger was, was didn't have it, you know didn't have it in terms of being on the glass, and I think it was four of fourteen shooting. Um, you know, Olenek comes in, and and it's sort of lost in the Avery injury. Is he only plays twelve minutes because his shoulder, the same shoulder that got dinged up uh, when DeAndre Jordan fell on him in February and kept him out for a month, was sore. So that's a concern because that's one of the few guys that you can maybe go with a with a small ball lineup and stretch the floor and uh so they're 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 in a tricky spot I'm, I'm interested to see how brad moves forward i think the obvious decision is to move marcus onto the starting lineup but do you pull evan up as well or do you need that guard depth are you comfortable with terry rozier now probably increasing his load i don't know if there's 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 a really obvious or ideal answer but they've got to kind of figure it out on the fly and I guess the the question is, do you, do you almost kind of shuffle back more towards traditional if you're worried about the guard depth and, and maybe you have to lean on, on the Solinger, uh, Amir Johnson combo at the start of games and, and see what happens from there? Well, it's the, the really tough thing about that combo is it clogs the paint um, for Isaiah, who we saw once they went small was able to drive uh, a lot more effectively. But I wanted to talk about the likely Avery Bradley replacement, Marcus Smart, and it's gotten to a point like this playoff performance is super cliche from Marcus Smart. Like, of course, he's going to grade it out and uh, shoot 50% from behind the arc and just have an amazing game after, <laughs> like, having the worst statistical shooting season uh, ever. It's so it's so Marcus, right? Like, I mean, I think we all saw this coming, too, because, like, every time someone would say, well, who do you think is the X factor? And I, I would it was invariably it was Marcus because it just felt like this was a series, both with the, the fact that they were going to need help defending uh, Atlanta's guards and the fact that he has the ability to just make these plays in big moments that you just felt like this was going to be a time for him to take a step forward. And that second half, he was phenomenal. Like, he was everywhere. He did everything right. I can't even imagine if that last heave had fallen, if it had banked it in or, or whatever. I don't know if he even got it off in time. But, but that was just like, quintessential Marcus Smart making the heady, yeah, one-handed like catch shoot. Come on. That that was insane, and and I mean now listen, he had one bad, 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 bad moment where, for whatever reason, for as smart of a basketball player as he is, and that's his last name, is that he tends to have this occasional lapse, and it usually comes in regard to the clock management. And when the Celtics, I think, were what, what pulled within two or three, and they, they had they they missed the, the Evan missed the three pointer. They had a chance to play for a stop with something like 34 seconds to go. Marcus runs over and fouls. 
he kind of tried to explain it off that he wasn't trying to foul. He was just trying to be aggressive defensively. But I think we all know it just made a boneheaded play at that point. So, I mean, it doesn't take away all that much from that performance. The only reason they had a chance and were that close was because Marcus was so good for much of that half. Uh, that being said, you know, I think back to what Brad said after the Golden State game where he was like, you know, the, 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 the progress was in the poise. And, you know, it felt like the, lately when the subs have been competitive, they found ways to win games late because they've shown great poise. Well, uh, you know, after pulling ahead on Jay's corner three-pointer and some of it might be Avery goes down, but they just didn't sort of have that resolve, have that poise that we've seen at the end of games. Uh, they've just got to, they're, they're not good enough to overcome mental lapses, and they need to, to make sure that, that they make all the right plays, or else they're left scrambling where Brad's calling a timeout every uh, dead ball, trying to get them back into, a, into the game on the last second. I just think Marcus likes fouling a lot, or just likes being physical, and it just comes back to bite him in the ass. And that was this is one of those occasions. But again, like earlier in the game, drawing that flagrant on Mike Scott, it was a little bit of a Marcus flop. He did get an elbow, but he made sure everyone knew he got that elbow. So I think he just likes being a little bit physical. I wanted to focus on the Atlanta Hawks uh, going into the series. I thought, or going into Game One, I thought Paul Millsap was the X factor, and but the Celtics did a good job holding it to only fourteen f- points. But then Bazemore comes out, I don't want to say comes out of nowhere, but he's not the player you expect to score 23 points. Horford scored 24 points, and Teague scores 23 points. So I guess my question is, what was the most impressive uh, part about the Hawks game, and what do you think the Celtics need to do to stop the uh, the players not named Millsap moving forward? Yeah, like Teague's been really impressive. Like For a guy who was, was essentially on the block at, at February's deadline, or at least was, was speculated that, that, that other teams were interested, I mean, he's he's been a he's really hurt Boston with his ability to to get in the paint, and get past the basket. You know, they had some success moving Avery onto him in the, uh, later in the game, but uh, had his way a bit earlier. I think you know Bazemore is going to get points because they're going to put Isaiah on him and kind of challenge him to to shoot or do whatever. I think they're okay with that. I think that you just live with that because you can't really hide Isaiah anywhere else. I think the thing I'm if I'm the Celtics, what I'm most concerned about is you had a night where you totally erased Korver, where Millsap didn't take over the game, which is rare when he plays the Celtics, and you still lost. And so is that going to happen again? Are you going to have a night where you can take those guys and, and make them you know, not, not impactful as they usually are in the game? Uh, that's a little bit of a concern. I guess you could flip the script and say, well, Isaiah's going to be better, that, you know, Jared Sullivan is going to be better. But still, I just feel like that was a very winnable game that if they didn't dig themselves such a hole in the first half, if they had made just a couple more plays, if they had not endured the, the, the couple of lulls, you feel like they could have stole that game. And I just don't know if, if they're going to – Millsap in particular. I mean, we think back to the last regular season meeting, I mean, he's just dominant. Um, I just don't know if you're going to be able to bottle him up, but speaks to the value of Crowder and, and helping to, to limit him on game one. Now, one of the problems is with going small, which is like which I believe in is the kind of the best strategy for them. Is I think it leads the Celtics to fouling a little bit more. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, the Hawks attempted 17 more free throws, and then in the second half alone, they were 20 of 26 from the free throw line. The Celtics only eight for 10. So how do they stop the stop fouling basically, but still play play that aggressive defense and get into the ball? Well, I, I think you, you, your first line of attack is you don't 
pick up five files in a minute and 55 seconds. At touché, the start of the touché. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I mean, if you spread those files out a little bit, you, you, can, you can sort of uh, limit the damage. Uh, but, you know, even then, I, I don't think it really hurt them in the third quarter all that much. I think they still were plus 10 for, for that frame. So I, it, it didn't totally hurt them. Uh, they've, they've just got to be better at, at, at especially when, when because the guards are so good at getting towards the rim at, at, at not foul. I have to go back and look at like what the what the total breakdown was or who had the most there. Uh, it felt like they were you know as soon as they got past them they were a little reachy grabby. Uh, let those guys try to finish. You know if they score they score, but you can't put them at the line. Uh, and then at the opposite end, you just got to hope that maybe some of those whistles go your way. I think that's what and we'll find out more today. Like it got lost in the shuffle, but. Brad getting his first technical in over two years, um, you know, it happened during a dead ball. So I'm assuming he was giving uh, Capers, the ref, some grief uh, for not getting whistled. I feel, I feel like I was trying to read his lips. I felt like he was saying, you know, if you were as quick with that technical whistle as you were on calling fouls for us, they might, you know, maybe I wouldn't have to sit, sit here and be screaming so much. Uh, it, it, I think Brad knows, especially in these series, you know, everyone's kind of aware of how it's being officiated, and even if you don't have the same refs every time. You know they're going to know that the, 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 how the discrepancy is going. I think he's just trying to get his team to get a few more whistles. That being said, the Celtics have to actually go at the basket in order to get some of those whistles. Now, did you ask Brad about the tech after the game? I didn't see any of the post-game sound or hear from. No, so it was weird because the, with the postseason, some guys go to the podium and some of the locker room. So you have to pretty much decide what you're going to do. So a lot of us went to the locker room to get Avery. Uh, I don't. I, I really didn't see how much of, uh, of Brad talk. I think it'll be a. Uh, a lot of that stuff will be followed up on today, uh, because again, I mean that's that's a pretty big deal. Brad doesn't get tax, and they're doing it in in, in the uh, fourth quarter of a of was third or fourth quarter of a of, of a playoff game. That that means he had to be pretty heated. And the Hawks. Uh... Missed the technical free throw, which shows you that the ball is an honest man, just like Brad Stevens. Just like Brad Stevens. I, I thought that tweet was great. Uh, if it, you thought it was so great, how come you didn't retweet it, huh? Uh, I think my retweet button was broke. That's fair. What? I hear that. I hear that a lot. So I think that might be a problem in the in the Atlanta region. All right. Um, I feel like we've touched on pretty much everything. Uh, What's your? Well, well, I'm going to throw it back at you. Are you freaked out about like Avery? Like, can they? Do you think they can can weather the storm without him? For some reason, I have this kind of eerie confidence that um, they're able. They're going to be able to patch things together with Marcus Smart and Evan Turner. But logically, you would think they're screwed. Like he is their one of their best players, both on offense and on defense. I would say, in terms of consistency, you know what you're going to get from Avery every night. So. Logically, I don't think the Celtics should really have a chance of winning this series, but something in the back of my head just thinks, oh, well, Marcus Smart and Evan Turner are going to step up. And that doesn't feel like the best boat to be in right now as I'm saying it, but that's my, <laughs> that's my gut feeling. Yeah, like I, feel, I, I, I guess I feel the same way. It's like when you go back and look at it, Avery was their, really their best two-way player, and some of that is because he plays with Isaiah so much, but he also has a lot of time with the bench unit. And so he, he had the best offensive rating in the team, the best defensive rating on the team. You lose someone like that, the, 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 the natural inclination is to be like, oh, they, yeah, they're screwed. There's no way they can overcome this, especially in a series where they're, not, they're shooting nothing but jumpers and he's their best jump shooter. And so, I, but there's just this like gnawing feeling that, he, that I don't know if they'll rally around it. I don't know if it'll just cause Marcus Smart to further elevate his game. But I just have this sense like that they're going to come out with a little bit more purpose or a little bit more, you know, something to prove in game two. I feel like they can rally around this a little bit. 
I don't know if that's sustainable over the course of an entire series, but I, I think it's, it, it's a good spot. Uh, if they can try to make a positive out of a negative, that'd be great. And I, you know what? I also can't rule out the fact, I think we've seen Avery go down a whole bunch. It wouldn't surprise me if they somehow just like tape up his leg and he tries to play, but I mean, we'll know more. Like if the MRI shows he's got real damage in there, then obviously they're not going to take that risk. And I don't know if it's very smart to put someone out there who's got a bum leg try and, and tell him to go guard Jeff Teague and all those zigzags. So um, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this team responds. I think back to what Brad said, even after they lost to Charlotte and Atlanta and going into that Miami game, he was saying, you know, all year long this team has had a propensity to respond. And that, that that's one of the calling cards they've had is they're, they've stepped up when they've needed to. Well, this is the, the, the ideal situation, having guys sort of rise to the challenge, especially if, if as uh, Marcus said, one of their brothers is down. And if, if anyone's going to come back and drag their dead carcass leg onto the court <laughs> just to try and win a basketball game, it's Avery Bradley. He may be kind of a quiet personality, but that dude is super intense. And so what about for the whole series? Are you still like, what was your prediction before the series? My prediction before the series was Hawks in seven. How are you feeling now? Like, you feeling like, are you moving Hawks in six? Are you feeling like Boston will get back in this? Like, where, where are you at? I think it really depends on game two. And I thought all along that if the Celtics were able to steal one in Atlanta out of the first two, they'd have a much better chance of winning. Because for some reason, I really believe in the energy of the TD Garden and actually having a home court advantage. Seeing the pictures of the empty seats in Phillips Arena last night did not really like inspire me about the great Hawks fans. So I think if they're able to steal one and take bad home court advantage, they'll actually have a chance. The thing about Avery is that he played a lot of his minutes with that second unit. Yeah. And my thought is, well, who needs a second unit? It's the playoffs. Just ride with like, <laughs> your seven or eight best players. They're not going to be playing for much longer. It's just put them on the court for upwards of 35, close to 40 minutes a game and see what you can get. There's no reason you have to rely on your depth. We really shouldn't see R.J. Hunter or Terry Rozier or even Jordan Mickey out there. I know. Whoa, the high- whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not throw stones. Like, you know, I can understand. Like, I mean, that was like telling, right, that, that the Celtics were so desperate last night that they went with a rookie who shot 30% beyond the three-point arc just to give the illusion that they'd have shooting on the floor. Uh, that was bad. I do wonder if Terry will be able to step up. They need rebounding, so like, he, we know he can do that. I, don't, I, I'm, I agree. I don't think you should trot him out there for, for 15, 20 minutes a game, but you know, maybe you find a spot to, to give your guys a rest. Uh, it, it is going to be interesting to see how they, they sort of shuffle this deck. If, you, if you're moving Marcus and even Evan onto the starting lineup, like all of a sudden the, the bench looks radically different. Uh, I did think it was telling that they brought Isaiah back, I think with like eight minutes to go, because he was on the floor when, when, when Avery got hurt. So that's pretty early for him. Uh, I wonder if they'll, they'll even have to stretch that out even more. You know, like Isaiah says it all the time. He wants to be a guy who plays 40-something minutes. Uh, I don't know if that's sustainable for him, especially the way he plays. But, you know, you might not have any other uh, other choice at this point, so so why not go for it? But I, I, here's, here's how I see the, the, the rest of the series playing out. They're going to win game. The Celtics will probably win game two. They'll find a way to steal it. You know, everyone, like, people in Boston will, will go nuts and be like, oh, we're winning this series. And then they'll come back to the Garden, and they'll split again. And it's, it's just bound to go seven games. And I don't know what will happen in game seven. We'll see. But, you know... Uh, I just feel like that's going to be the kind of series that it will be. Oh, I feel like in Game 7s and in the playoffs, it comes down in the end, and we saw this with uh, the Pacers and the Raptors, to who's the best player on the floor. 
And who's just going to impose their will on this game? So I guess it, uh, that's my final question for you is, in this series, who is the best player on the floor? Is it Isaiah Thomas or is it Paul Millsap? Well, clearly it's Jordan Mickey. And if, <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, uh, you know what? I don't know yet. I mean, I, I think it's Millsap, if I'm being honest, because just the way he's really dominated at times in, in the regular season. And, and I mean, Talk about an under-the-radar guy. Like, I'll even admit, like, from afar, for someone who doesn't watch the Hawks a whole lot, I sort of had this idea that, you know, still Horford sort of being their guy and that they got great production from the guards and having Korver. Uh, and, and Millsap just flies so quietly under the radar. And then you watch this team and you watch what he does at both ends, and it's just amazing. I mean, he's just such a good player. And again, that's why it's almost frustrating that the Celtics were able to bottle him up a little bit on uh, game one and that they, they weren't able to really take advantage of it because you know, based on his past history, regardless of what team he's been on, he's going to, to get going against Boston. He's going to hurt them. I do think that, like you said, at, at, at the end of the day, especially in game seven, I think experience and I think talent wins out. And, you know, especially if they don't have Avery, I think if we're being honest, the, the Hawks have more experience and they have, probably more overall talent. I think it still tips in their favor at the moment. That said, uh, you know, I'm, the one thing I'm really curious about is the impact that Brad has on a seven-game series. And that, look, Budenholzer is just is a great coach. I, I don't know if, there, if, if, you, if you can cause that much of a difference from, from the bench, but you just have this faith that Brad, when he's walking in on one opponent, can maybe sort of, give his team some sort of, of, of edge, some sort of advantage. I want to see how he sort of does this chess match and, and reacts. Last year we didn't get a really good look at it. I mean, Cleveland was just so good. It was hard to, to gauge just how much Brad was able to help his team in that scenario. I guess it's good that they were competitive for four games. I want to see if he's able to, to sort of at least give them itself, themselves a chance to compete in this series based on what he, the moves he makes moving forward. I think it ultimately. Oh, well, that was not a sentence. I think it ultimately <laughs> comes down to Brad's ability to get Isaiah Thomas open, and in Isaiah's ability to kind of go full Dwayne Wade, attack the basket, and attempt what like twenty free throws in a game. And so maybe Brad is working the refs early, trying to get uh, calls on Isaiah in his favor. But if Isaiah, and because that's when we've seen him be the most successful and put up the highest point totals, is when he can draw those fouls and attack the basket. And I think the part of that part of that is going to be Evan, right? Because like we saw last night, when they bring Evan on the floor, it gives you another ball handler, gets Isaiah off the ball, you can get him on the move, going at the basket. You take, you know, you take either Sully or Amir out of there. It's, it stretches the floor, gives them more of a lane. So I, I think there's reasons to be encouraged that they can get that going. Uh, that being said, like it's still the second best defense in the league. It's still going to be tough for, for them to figure that out. Uh, but the more free throws they can get, the, I mean, listen, Isaiah should have a night where he has more free throws than Boston had overall yesterday. Uh, and, and that would help them. All right, Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston, thank you for joining me from your undisclosed location in Atlanta. Hopefully we can uh, talk to you and recap game two on uh, on Wednesday. Let's do it. And, and can, you, can you just get like a health check on Jared? Make sure he's like, you know. I'll okay. do it. If the Celtics lose again, I'll definitely put out an APB on Jared. But if they win, <laughs> I expect him to be here. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll, we'll just wait a couple days. It can't be that bad. All right. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> hey, thanks, guys. Thanks to Chris for joining me, and thanks for listening to the WEI Celtics podcast. If you enjoyed, please subscribe on iTunes. You can get us on Stitcher, the WEI app, or the CLNS radio app. 
If you haven't gotten a chance, please listen to my uh, podcast profile of Jay Crowder, the jo- the growth of Jay Crowder. You can also find that in all of those locations. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, I'm Sam Packard at Sam Packard NBA. Thanks for listening. Make sure to tune in later in the week when we'll talk to Chris after the results of Game 2 on Tuesday night. Once again, Celtics drop Game 1, 102-101 to the Atlanta Hawks. This is the WEI Celtics Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.